welcome, welcome coaches, teachers, parents, and medical professionals. You are listening to Larissa Mills and my podcast, At The Table. I am the founder of iParentGen.com, and today and every day, we are going to discuss how families and schools are managing technology and raising children and teaching them. We are also going to listen to how technology is impacting athletes and their level of sport. So let's get to it. Stay tuned and please call in with your questions or join us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. But parents, you are not alone. There are courses, articles, and videos on my website. Please sign up for free. So let's get listening. Hello there, Dr. Natasha Sharma. How are you? I'm good, Larissa. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled that you can be here and share some, some insights to this topic, this serious topic that we're having today. Um, I just want to say to our listeners, we have a very special woman here today. She's the creator of the Kindness Journal. She's a speaker, author. I'm going to keep going because her list is long. <laughs> so it's a master's of psychology from John Hopkins, a doctorate psychology from uh, CSU, and a degree from McMaster in DeGroote School of Business. I have to take a breath. Hang on. <laughs> and she's a mama too. And I think she's a pretty exceptional person. So I'd like everyone, all the listeners, to welcome her to the table today. So Natasha, can you share a little bit of your, your background and what, and what you're doing to all sure. the listeners? Absolutely. Um, thank you for that introduction. Um, so yeah, I have been in the wellness field uh, and this, the field of emotional fitness and health for the past decade. Interestingly, I spent a few years in the corporate world after completing my business degree. Um, very quickly realized in four weeks it wasn't for me and my personal Sona, but I stuck it out for about four years and then I actually made a big shift and, and embarked on this. And in that time, I've built up a, a practice, a clinic here in Toronto, which is now like basically entirely virtual given what we're, where we're at this year, yeah. um, which, is, which has really grown and, and continues to grow and, and is a wonderful support to the community and now beyond um, for people and their um, personal development and emotional uh, goals. So, and that is called NKS therapy. And then lately I've actually moved over recently to um, personally, uh, in terms of me, dedicating myself to um, bringing more teachings and more of myself to the, the, the public in the world through not only content creation, but also products I create. So right. the Kindness Journal being a best-selling guided journal around creating happiness habits through nightly journaling ritual um, and understanding how the practice of self-compassion and kindness to self and kindness to others has a, plays a huge role in creating our sense of peace and happiness. So that's one thing that I've yeah. um, worked on and working on. Yeah, I think that's and great. It's great. Yeah. I have to say, one of the things I give to parents, I'm glad I'm on the right track, is instead <laughs> of children going to bed with phones, mm -hmm. turning those phones off, and turning our minds and brains to putting a pen to paper and journaling. Yes. And a gratitude yes. list. Like, a, yes. what are you thankful for, right? And what we do before we go to sleep uh, is particularly significant because anytime we have um, relaxed the body, relaxed the mind, we have less distraction, less stimuli around us, we lose inhibition. And inhibition is, we need it. It's not bad thing but in order to tap into the greater recesses of who we are and kind of um imprint more lasting patterns of thought 
thought and change, we have to move into an uninhibited state in our mindset. And that doing that when we're before bed actually feeds right into the sleep cycle. So that's, that's a key point. Yeah. It's, and, and it's interesting you say that because just two weeks ago, I wrote an article about parents significantly, a higher percentage of parents are using drugs, prescription drugs to put their kids to sleep, letting mm. them go to bed with the phone but then you can't just stimulate the nervous system with the phone and the social media that we're about to talk to you uh, about today. They're mm -hmm. using prescription drugs for their kids to go to sleep. But if they had actually done your journaling, like you're saying, or to calm and calm the nervous system, they'd actually have a better, deeper sleep. I mean, I've not heard of those types of um, like a trend in that area, but I think the idea of using any kind of pharmaceutical intervention to go to sleep, whether you're an adult or a child, should be a very last, 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 like absolutely nothing else has worked. The quality of your life is now hinging on this type of resort. So, I mean, I don't, yeah. Yeah. Well, we are going to, I know we could talk about various things, parenting, whatever, but today I've asked you here so we can talk about how and why children are having such it, it's almost like their teen culture is changing around nude photos and the sending of nude photos and how this is causing um, social images and body images and eating disorders. So thank you for being here today. So my first question is that, okay, we know that teen cultures are saying, we're, we're seeing, um, I think it's a 70% increase in sending nude photos. There is 33% uh, of children have seen a sexualized text from somebody um, and now we're seeing use using I guess as a, a mode of being popular as nude photos how can we um, talk to parents about this and, and let them know that this is a serious thing yeah I mean that statistic is is um, unsurprising yet mind-boggling at the same time yeah I think one of the things we have to start with is trying to understand and theorize why this is happening. Why is there a 70%? Why is this a phenomenon? I think if I could explain, you know, for, for parents, but everybody to understand why this might be happening is a couple yeah. things come to mind. One is that the ease of doing so, it's literally, you know, the more steps you have to take, uh, you have to put into place in order to conduct an action or behavior, the more time there is to process and right, think yeah. first and act, right? So because these are things that can be done straight from your phone. You can send these kinds of things very rapidly, very impulsively mm -hmm. at the click of a button on your phone. I think that's sort of very straightforwardly from a purely behavioral and neuroscientific uh, yes. point why people do this. Um, because young people are impulsive by and, and rightfully so, like we are more impulsive when we're younger. We don't tend to think things through as much as when we, in theory, do as adults. So they are more vulnerable to those like hasty decisions. Right. The second, and because it's there, like, oh, this right. is really easy. This seems like a good idea in the moment. And the, the window of time to process whether it's a good idea or not and do it is so small. small. Yeah. The second thing that comes to my mind is that I worry about the level of stimulation for our current young generation that is being raised on um, with cell phones and with digital, you know, everything that's at our fingertips. And in this type of world, it can be very difficult um, to be stimulated. And 
uh, excited and feel, mm-hmm. um, I guess, lifted by something. And I think that one of the reasons this, there's a trend in this is that it probably, I think the idea of like sort of making naked jokes, fart jokes, burping and stuff, that's kind of always been there. It's part of being a kid. It's part of being growing up. Like we've all kind of, you know, sampled and dabbled, like I'm going to moon this person on the bus. You know, it, part of that is very much a, um, an exploration and an understanding right. of childhood and human dynamics. But right. what is different now is that we can permanently imprint this stuff. Whereas before it was just, it happened and it was gone. And it was, it was kind of part of our moment. natural. Yeah. In the moment and literally not a snapshot taken. That's right. right. Drive by your, uh, your right. example. It's <laughs> the moment it's gone right now. Someone will take a picture of that and see it and post it and say, this That's is you. Right. I saw you. And this, this is alarming in and of itself, that yes. permanency but it also creates the potential for this, th- that to be repeated and a trend to begin to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, something that becomes a movement or onto itself. Whereas before they were very sporadic ad hoc. It was like, poof, you know, it happened. You, you maybe made a funny or a joke or yeah. not that they were necessarily or always appropriate, but you know, and then it was over. So now we have this sort of, Hey, this is funny and entertaining and it all has been but now we can take it up a notch and make it even more sensationalized and like entertain ourselves even more by doing this and this has become an alarming source i think of unhealthy entertainment for a lot of kids it's 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 i think on some level i'm not sure if i'd use the word fun but it's certainly engaging for them to get a kick they're getting a kick out of this yeah what can we say or how can we educate parents about talking to their children about their bodies and how to raise children with a happy body image. Cause I can tell you, I have never seen such insecurity as I have in the past five years. And I've been coaching for a long time, 20 years. Mm-hmm. I've never seen so many body self-conscious girls or boys, boys not taking off their shirts to go swimming. Mm-hmm. They're, they're beautiful young males and boys and, they're insecure. And I'm thinking, I'm almost 50. I, I mean, I, I'll take my, I'm sure at all. I'm going to this pool and I, I'm older. I don't care what people, right. And I've grown and whatnot. But when I see them, it breaks my heart. And I think, is it the parenting? Is it parents allowing them to be on their phones for 46, four to six hours a day, which is 960 hours a year parents are not spending with their children? Is it that statistic? Or is it just simply we're just not watching what they're doing on their phone, what app they're on. I think it's a bit of a combination of both um, what's natural or innate and, and yes, uh, currently where, we at in our, where we're at in our society. Uh-huh. I mean, kids by nature, again, we're talking universal, always been the case in terms of universal development and childhood development. Mm-hmm. teenagers and younger kids sort of around 12 and up um, maybe a little bit later for boys, but somewhere around yeah. 10, 12. I mean, they, they are initially, they want to please, they want the approval of their parents. And then once they hit a certain age, they very much want to blend with the peer group. And I'm actually going to talk about that. that um, I want to make sure I talk about that in today's um, go for it. I, I was going to bring yeah, yeah. Because, because there's actually been a real shift on that, but let me, let me put that over here for a second. Okay. So, 
It's normal for peers, uh, sorry, it's normal for young people to want the approval and the acceptance of their peers. That's fine. But it, what matters is what is the lengths that you're going to go to this? How are you going to become self-aware? And I think that's what parents, um, one of the things that we need to help them focus on or encourage them to focus on is help your children child first become aware of this yourself even thinking back to your own self and then how can you help your child become aware um consciously intentionally aware of hey i i have a certain desire to be accepted and approved by my peers and it comes from deep within me and it's, it's it's part of my biology and it's part of my social psychology but once i am aware of that now i can become begin to learn to be in control of that because just because i want acceptance and that's important and I want to be accepted by my peers and fit in with them and have friends right. that doesn't mean I'll just do anything and everything right so that's, right. that's there is a boundary that they have to start examining because their children being arrested and charged for sending these nude photos yes. and I can't believe when I interviewed a high school principal through actually three or four of them and one of the things that really bothered them the most was the rampant spreading and sending of the nude photos so it really, A, broke my heart. B, these principals are trying to tell the parents, please check your phones. And here I am with a stat going, well, 83% of parents don't check their kids' phones mm-hmm. under the age of 17. So we have a, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. Parents aren't checking their kids' phones. See, I, I, would, I, would, I would say that the solution does not lie in parents checking and being police, being police, like policing the content of the kids because right. all you're doing really is um, uh, creating a situation where they'll only avoid punishment or repercussions by getting mm-hmm. caught. What we really want to hone in on is a much deeper thing, which is encouraging our children to understand from an early age is this a good idea? Exactly. You really yeah. like, and, and one of the things that makes it so difficult is the phone as a form of technology. Mm-hmm. Children are very vulnerable. Actually, we all are. Children are very vulnerable to it. But as a human being, we are vulnerable to what a phone represents. Mine is right here. I mean, it's off, right? Like I kept it off. But I mean, in terms of what it does to us neurologically, it is an addictive device. Oh, yeah. And it will control us unless we consciously control that. Now, as adults, we're much more equipped. Not, not, I'm not saying everyone does it, but we are far more equipped to at least manage the control of technology in our lives and let it serve us and not the other way around. But imagine, I didn't grow up with phones. Can you yeah, imagine... Can you imagine growing up with something like that? I can't even begin to imagine my 13-year-old self who doesn't have any of the regulatory skills that I have at my age trying to navigate the temptations of a phone, right? And so this the is a virtual world. All that it encompasses, right. right? All of it. It's very hard to, to give someone if you say, you know, here, and, and, and two neurologists have said, okay, phones are highly addictive. It's like giving your child cocaine and saying, let's, let's just do it. And or, I or sugar. Let's, let me be, maybe sugar. I said, yeah, let's like, be sugar. <laughs> any stimulant, right? Yeah. And, and, and I said, what? And he said, anything. It is a stimulant that stimulates the nervous system to the point where it could be gambling right. is your thing or whatever right. stimulates and causes that addiction. And I thought, well, we give our kids seatbelts yeah. and we make sure that they eat right. And he goes, yes. And we also have to teach them how to manage phones. We have to teach them and educate them. 
That's right. Because phones, unlike, that's why I changed it, the analogy from cocaine to sugar, because cocaine is just bad, right? There's not, there's, we can't argue a single first one out of his mouth. <laughs> but, you know, uh, uh, sugar brings us a little pleasure and joy and maybe some functionality in life too. So the analogy is a little best, better in the sense that, yeah, phones are not inherently bad. We can, we can certainly have them in our lives in a way that serves us and they're we know yeah. they're not going anywhere so we yeah. must find a way to live with the phone in our lives that is healthy and conducive to us not blacklist the phones out not be um policing the content of our children but teaching them right from the moment that they are privileged to get the privilege of owning one which i personally believe should be extremely late in life even yes. if it makes them an outcast i've i've told my kids who are only four and seven that they're they young not, too right yeah. they're super young they don't expect any phones but you know um and my husband and I are on the same page no phones if I give them a phone it will be if I can find one when the time comes if we're still using phones at that time yeah um, I'm gonna get you a phone that you can make phone calls in and out and that's it no texting no internet nothing and I'm not really worried about you walking home and you not being able to call me because I think that's an argument that parents and I understand, I'm not yeah. judging. I understand how that could seem like a logical argument. Well, I want my child to have a phone because I fear for their safety. Well, why is it that for thousands of years, we let our children go? And as, as you know, being what you do, it, it makes me, I'm baffled by that answer. Because yeah. psychologically, children need to feel untethered. We need to give them responsibilities and independence and trust. <laughs> That's My right. children don't have phones to go walk to school or to say, mom, I made it to school. The attendance person will tell me. Yeah. yeah. Right. 20 years ago, we wouldn't, we were thinking about this because uh, my friends and I were talking one night and said, how would this pandemic have been if this were in the eighties and we didn't have all this technology, mm -hmm. I would have liked to have seen what that, you know, postulate what that would be like because we didn't have phones. We wouldn't, we'd only be able to what, talk on our Atari or our, I can't even, I, uh, on, regular, on a regular house phone, phone. That we had to share with And talking, using our brain and our linguistic skills, where now there's some neurologists saying that there is now dementia and people under 40 have been using phones for 15 years because they're not stimulated by talking in their brain. They're just watching videos. So their brain's not being used. That Anyway, that's another step, but um, so how can we as, and tell our parents to start talking to their children about body images and how to like their body? We tabled that. So let's bring it back. Yeah. That's important. It is, it is very important. And, um, again, I think body image and how we feel about how we begin to reconcile that process about how we view ourselves and how we, how society views us and how we desire society to view us has always been in place since the human species existed. That's been in place. But yep. where, we, where we think of our modern world and how much that's changed in relation to how much we've changed, it's a massive gap. We haven't changed that much. Our world has changed like light years from since we first existed. So I think it, it comes down to parents uh, and kids together. Like um, this has to be a conscious topic of conversation at some point. I mean, right. you don't have to start it with kids as young as mine. Um, although you should in, in ways that are not kind of um, 
shoving it down their face because you don't want to kind of over talk it and over praise but at the same time modeling behaviors like first of all how do parents respect their own bodies right. your children are watching how you feel about your own body mm -hmm. i mean I, I have been a slender, tall person my whole life, and I've been very lucky and very athletic, and it's been great. After I had my first, I was very lucky. My midsection snapped back to normal after my second. Not yeah. a <laughs> yeah. My second has made it a different situation down there. Yep. And while I still feel pretty good about myself and healthy, like it, 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 it looks different, but I don't allow myself to cover up any differently than I did. I live my life the same way that I did before I have my kids, whatever it was, doesn't mean you should wear this or that. It's just, you don't want to change who you are because of changes in your body. So how are you, um, um, treating yourself and your body? Yeah. Your body is literally your, your temple. It's part of your home. You have your, your, your body and your mind. If you eat healthy, if you, you um, exercise, sleep. yes, if you yeah. sleep, if you treat the body the way that you, in such a way that demonstrates to your child, I value this body. I don't want to be overweight. It doesn't have to be perfect. I don't have to be a muscular contoured piece of, you know, but I want to make sure I'm in healthy weight range. That's really important right. um, because that is showing yourself that you love your body and, and a healthy weight range is a wide range. An Instagram healthy weight range is a very small range, but a normal <laughs> healthy weight range is actually pretty wide. Do I have to insert a question part B? What about those parents that are saying, you know, my child, oh, they're in arts and music. They don't need to exercise. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Because exercise does so many things for us. It doesn't even matter if you're athletic, you need to be fit for heart, mm -hmm your circulatory system, your brain, your um, stress levels. And I, I mean, they'll just argue and say, no, no, my kid's a pianist or whatever. I'm like, no, but they have to be able to have good posture. They, you don't want them to have osteoarthritis when they're, so it's kind of, I see this small percentage that is growing. And, and now I'm, I'm interviewing all these Olympic athletes and these, these physiotherapists that are seeing a great divide in athleticism completely athletic kids and kids that are not growing properly. So how do we sort of talk to that parent that's saying, no, she can be on her phone for four hours a day. We don't need to worry about fitness. I've never, so I actually, I've never heard a parent say that, even if their lives reflect that. I don't think I've ever heard a parent say something like that out loud. Um, yes. if, they, if they even believe it or think it, I think um, what we have to do is very consciously live our lives in balance and it takes effort. Parenting, I, I don't think any parent listening or not listening, uh, most of them have nothing but the best of intentions. They want the best for their kids. There's no question about that. Now, how that actually manifests in terms of action can be a different thing. So it's really easy, like today, in today's day and age, it's really easy to be a lazier parent. It, it, is, it is easier, and I'm not suggesting that parents by inherently are lazy. I'm just saying it's easier to be that. Um, it takes effort. It takes um, conscious, intentional purpose, like actually making a plan to be outside and get your kids together into the habit of no, you, you won't really be sitting around here all day and learning from a very early age that that won't be acceptable. Like there, there can be a little bit of that. There can be, of course, relaxation. Right. Even the odd video game is, is not a crime, obviously, right. but it's about 
It's about balance. What feeds us the most in our lives? And what do we have to make sure that we eliminate entirely? And then what are some things that are pleasurable, but we need to make sure that we keep them to the minimum so that they don't become like sugar, you know, like, like alcohol, like coffee. These are wonderful things that we can enjoy and we should enjoy, but we have to be very careful. Yeah. Slippery slope. Definitely. Well, if we were to sit down with a group of teenagers, 13 year olds, boys and girls, because this is affecting both boys and girls, Mm -hmm. What could we tell them three things to do to protect themselves from taking, because if they're taking photos, it's also dangerous, right? Lures, we deal with all the criminal content. We can be, they, some kids are being charged, I can't believe with trafficking because they're sending the new photos. What would you like to say to those kids as a message to parents? Because we're just seeing such a spike in this. I mean, it, it's, it's less about what I would, preach to a child or a kid because I try as much as possible to not practice that, but also to encourage parents to avoid it wherever possible. Um, Sometimes to avoid avoid telling them just what to do. I mean, sometimes we do need to go there because it's absolutely necessary. I mean, certainly telling our children that show them um, instances of you know this is someone who um, experienced this consequence down the line because of a photo this is someone who perhaps took their own life because of a photo I mean they need to be face to face with some of these realities and stories that's one thing now imagine just sit for a second I know it's hard and I know maybe you're trying to tune me out right now but can you imagine um, yourself, your future self, um, and that's a very difficult thing to do. Can you imagine your future self? What would your future self want you to be doing right now? How would you want that person? Could this follow you? Could this have ramifications that could follow you? And I think teens, um, are certainly more aware of that now connecting them to caring and behaving is differently. And I really, is a different story. I do think it comes down to parents building and this is what I'm going to touch back to because I want to make sure I, I mention it in this podcast. Yep. We've, we've moved to a place where the relationship between children and their parents is taking a backseat to the relationship between children and their peers. Yep. And this is something that is an extremely odd phenomenon, which as, a, as a, I was born and raised in this country, Canada, but my parents immigrated, immigrated here from India, from East India. Mm-hmm. And Um, The message was always, you know, to us was very clear. Um, We should be pleasing our parents. We should be respecting the structure of family and parenting. Now, it also had some extreme, there was sort of an extreme version of that, which is you also need to encourage your children to think independently and not just serve your parents just because they're older. So that's a separate thing. But I I think the idea of of, a family being... um, provided you have healthy parents, parents who can at least provide a modicum of safety and security. Right. That really needs to be, I think, what takes most the precedence in a child's life, even at the peer level. And here what we've seen in the North American world is that, um, and parents have unwittingly um, stepped into that by releasing their kids to valuing the opinion of their peers mm-hmm. more than the opinion of their parents. And we have to change that culture that's a huge thing I want to point out. We really need to move back to 
um, building our children up. It's the value system. The whole value system is shifted, right? Um, and, And yet, I agree with you, but I'm looking at the fact that if a child is on their phone for 46 hours a day and a parent is on their phone for 46 hours a day, when are we building their bond of security and attachment? Where is this time and bond coming from? I mean, when my kids come home, I am not on my phone. The first thing I do is say, hey, what's going on? Good to see you. You know, um, did you have music today? I'm very specific in my questions. I just don't ask how was school because they just go, yeah, whatever. I'm very specific. Did you have the Z? Did, Did you play dodgeball? What is it? And that's talking. I'm not even seeing much of, and from what I hear from my clients, that the child is just more disgruntled and goes off and, okay, just go on your iPad. So is it parents making this, you're saying easier, is it just easier to send them? But I find it easier to actually bond and talk with my children and have that closeness and have do it. We're going fishing. Oh my gosh, I'm fishing so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so we're spending time together, talking, yes. being outside. Yes. I'm just not seeing it happen as much anymore. I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And by the way, why should a child do anything differently if their parents are on the phone um, for the same? Now, now, parents, obviously, adults need to use phones for functional and work purposes. That is completely different. And even use, they may even need to use, parents to use a laptop. If they're working, so that yeah. don't ignore your kids and be on a phone. Right. Oh, totally. That's number one. And number two, I mean, if you can eliminate screens for the most part altogether, with the exception, if you're going to look up the address to a place you're going to, that's no problem. You're showing your child, you're using the phone for a tool, um, for a tool exactly, um, to make your life easier, which is what supposed, tech is supposed to be. But, you know, as much as possible, keeping your phone use and your even your screen use to the hours when your children are doing their job, which is their students, that's their job. And your job is whatever it is, not everyone works the same structured hours anymore, but as much as you can so that they see the phone is a a tool for my parents um, in their work as part of their work. And it has, it has some value outside of that, but we want to manage that. But yeah, I, it takes going back to what you're saying. It takes a consciousness. It takes an living with intention. It takes parenting with intention to an energy. It takes energy that I completely understand. Not all parents even, they have the desire to do this. A lot of such well-meaning, big hearted, warm hearted parents who they want to be more intentional with their kids. They want to be more conscious, but in today's well, maybe 2020 will ship things. We'll let's, see. Let's, this is pre-COVID I'm actually speaking to. Yeah. yeah. Before COVID, before COVID, the pace of our lives for parents in the Western world, and again, I, I do sort of pick on North America for this, no, it's um, is uh, so fast that who could blame a parent who's depleted at the end of the day? My, my answer to that is, is the depletion completely out of your hands or is a lot of this self-imposed is there something that you can do to take control of just how depleted you feel by re-examining how your household is living how you're working so that you can live parent with intention exactly right and i and it's 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 funny because i've had i've probably done over 30 podcasts now and i can now say that as of you the 30th have said the same 30th thing the same (laughs) thing that we need to spend more time with our children without the electronics and bond almost everyone even coaches olympians moms dads psychologists doctors pediatrician all saying the same thing 
we need to slow down, definitely smell the roses and enjoy just being because now mm -hmm. kids don't even know how to be aware of their own bodies and emotions right now. Mm -hmm. And that to me, that, that, that unsettles me a lot mm -hmm. because if they're not learning how to deal and cope and manage their, their feelings, I'm worried about what that means 10, 20 years down the road. Well, that was the basis of my, I gave a TEDx talk in 2017, which is available on YouTube. And I'll be on I, that. <laughs> yeah, I spoke to a thousand teens. It wasn't such, I couldn't have picked a better audience, but it really resonated online too. Cause it has, I think it has almost 300,000 views now. So it's, it's really, popular. it's been popular, but one of the things I taught, but that is the topic of the talk is emotional control has always been important, but it will be never, it has never been more so important than the future we're heading into. Yeah. Um, is being in uh, complete awareness and being able to navigate our emotions. It doesn't mean we'll be perfect. It certainly doesn't mean that we'll always have emotional control. It's more about um, the ability to have the intellectual knowledge, the know-how and the tools to, to organize and, and, and manage how we feel most of the time. And if not in the moment afterwards, so that we can live a life of, of self-compassion and unconditional self-acceptance and always forgiving ourselves. Even if other people will not always be okay with what we've done, we can always be okay with what we've done and change tomorrow and create a different habit or behavior tomorrow. And, and I think our self-talk, I think people forget about that, right? Our mm -hmm. ability to have that inner conversation in our heads. We're yeah. pretty important people. I, I tell my kids all the time, you make choices. What's your choice? What are you thinking? How are you thinking about this? What yeah. choice do you want to make today? This is your choice. And giving them that independence. And I find kind of parents, now this is probably a whole other podcast but, but of self-talk because I'm finding that I'm, I'm actually giving more talks to teachers about self-talk in their classrooms. Mm -hmm. And it, it seems that the more we have this ability to do it, the happier the children are in the schools. Yeah, I mean, just, just talking about all this is just incredible, I mean, to our children. I think back to when I was in school and growing up, and I'm not, I'm not particularly old, per se. I grew up in the, in the 80s and the 90s. Those were my childhood years. And, I mean, we just didn't have any of this kind of talk. It was just, and I grew up right here in, in the GTA. I mean, I've lived in different parts of the world, but this is where my formative years were. We didn't talk about this. I, I do feel very hopeful and optimistic and I want your listeners to really, I don't want them to kind of walk away. Um, everyone listening to feel like a weight on their shoulders. I actually want them to walk away with a lot more hope because we have an opportunity here um, to create a much different, far more empowered, far more knowledgeable generation of adults because when I see what my kids talk about at school, um, could there be more? Yes, but just, just the conversations they have. I mean, in my house, it's a little, biased obviously with me being what I am and who I am but I, I see it outside as well people are talking about these things people are yeah. people are encouraging children to learn about their emotions and yeah. self-awareness and compassion and these are things that probably you and I never unless we had parents who did this I, I learned any of that except for when I was going through sports and yeah. my mom and dad and my coaches would say when this happens you have to learn how to give your brain a reset you have to go back out on the court wipe out everything that just happened, go back to your fundamentals and go back in there. 
And yeah. I always was given steps to progress or, or digest emotions or ways in which we can feel emotional. Like it's okay to feel angry, but I had a kid who, who we, I got to just wrap up, but it, for instance, a cross country coach I interviewed, she said, kids don't know what butterflies are in their tummies mm-hmm. before they race. So they're getting really nervous and it's kind of cute. Right. Mm-hmm. But they don't know what they are. Yeah. And, and they've never had this conversation. So yeah. she says, those are your little tiny butterflies saying, I'm ready for this race. You've yeah. prepared and it's okay. And that's good to have them. And you know what? The anxiety levels came down. Isn't that interesting that you, you talk about it, right. learning it? Yeah. And, and that you talk about it through sport. I experienced a similar thing at the age of, I had to wait till 19 and I did sports my whole life, but it wasn't until I joined martial arts that I got, I got all the school of, I got such a school of life through martial arts. It had been psych 101. I mean, it was phenomenal. The kinds of life lessons that I was getting alongside my karate. Mm-hmm. I think I, I'm, our kids did karate and they learned so much more about the emotional part of it. Yes. Yes. And self-control and self-forgiveness and self-compassion and consciously making choices, consciously living your life. But just to, just to comment again, you're right. I, I, and I'm hopeful because just the fact that we're talking about so many of these things and naming them and actually not letting them just sit in our heads, but actually bringing them out into conversation and verbalizing them, I think is like a huge step towards creating a lot more positive changes, yeah. hopefully down the road. Well, I do. I agree. I think I'm, I just want to sum up everything that we've talked about for the listeners, just because I think we've talked about so many solutions here today and so many options that we can help our children or our students with. So you said we have to make sure that we have conversations from very young ages mm-hmm. and maintain our bonding, make sure that we're even teaching our children to be self-aware and how to sleep and how to eat properly and to value their bodies right? Take pride in, in their bodies. Mm-hmm. And we also talked about um, making sure that we, we are teaching our children those morals of should we take those photos or what did we talk about? Do you remember what we spoke to? And it really is all coming back to one thing, Natasha, and that is parents having conversations with their kids, mm-hmm. right? Just all back yeah. to that. And I think it's less, less, less policing, and much more preemptive. How can I get in yeah. in advance in front of this before I don't want to be at the other end when I'm policing. I want to get in at the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a powerful message to parents that really it is all about the preemptive strike. So if you will, educating them from a very young age, but also making our schedule slow down a little bit to put the time in to play teacup and saucers and, dress dolls or play trucks or whatever it is because children learn through play. Yes. And healthy, healthy attachment leads to healthy detachment. Yes. Leads to healthy detachment, which is where we're going. Right. Right. And I really like how you touched on peer confirmation because I'm seeing so much more of it um, and how we can sort of preempt that mm-hmm. by parents just, spending more time with our, our children in fun ways. It could be for a bike ride or it could be baking or cooking or chores or listening to music, whatever it is that you want to do with your child. It's important to just do it. Put that hour aside and don't go on your phones and don't separate into different rooms and be roommates. You want to be a family. I'm going to say something kind of radical, might be radical here. I'm all <laughs> about it. 
<clears throat> assuming you have, I truly believe this. I didn't, I didn't always believe this maybe as a child or what have you, yeah. but um, as a person and as a, as a, as an expert in this field, if you have parents, if you are blessed to have parents who are um, healthy and loving, we, we acknowledging just in that statement that not everybody is blessed with that. And this doesn't apply. Right. But if you have parents and siblings or even just on your own and you have people like that in your nuclear family mm-hmm. who, who are there for you and you know you guys got each other's back, you, you're, you're good, you know, you don't have to be super tight, yeah. but if you're good. Yeah. These people should be the most important people, <coughs> pardon me, in your life until such time as you find a life partner, if that's what you decide, other than yourself. I'm so sorry. First, we're on the same page. Yes, outside of yourself, you are always uh, the CEO of You Inc. or Me Inc. That's but right. I, I do think that parents, loving parents, or just loving whoever your family is, if you weren't blessed with loving blood relatives, your friends, they should be the most important people in your life until yeah. and, you reach and Just be their landing mat, just be their security blankets. You know, just being there for them is so important. Well, thank you so much for being here, Dr. Sharma. I appreciate all of your insights and and your different ways of angling to basically coming down to the the synopsis, which is talking and spending time with our children, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of beautiful. (laughs) It's such a simple message, but it's it's timeless. And it, yeah, yeah, and it's, it's simple enough to digest. It's, I think... Yeah, the way we live just makes it a little bit more, we have to do it more intentionally in today's world. Right, right. And can you just share with everybody how they can contact your clinic before we sign off? Absolutely. So my practice where my team sees um, people, actually couples and, and individuals for counseling therapy, psychotherapy is nkstherapy.com. And then the place where people can get the kindness journal, Well, the kindness journal is available on Amazon, all Amazons across the However, world. However, not if it's out of order. And there's nothing <laughs> left because yeah. I have to go get it at the beginning of pandemic. And I'm like, what? It's not here. And this was ages ago, right? Yeah. No, it should be. It should be there. It's probably it's now. Usually, yeah. usually yeah. there. And then, or you can go to the kindnessjournal.com to oh, right. uh, and also, and also the eight hour therapist is our newly launched online self-directed, um, uh, basically learning all the tools of counseling that you wouldn't get if you didn't see a therapist in person, if you could learn, how could you learn and harness everything on your own? And it's called the eight hour therapist. And we've condensed all of the teachings and learnings that my co-founder and I have um, practiced in the last 40 combined years plus into this program. So you can learn everything in a really condensed and optimized way. Yeah, from home. Well, thank you so much for all your information. Thank you for doing what you're doing because you're helping so many people. Um, So hopefully, listeners, you can go and visit all those different links and I will apply them. But thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. (laughs) 